Well, money can be a very sensitive topic at the best of times, but especially when it comes to church. And uh, sadly, many people have been turned off Christianity as a result of churches and their dealings with money. Uh, Maybe you've even heard people say things like, I don't go to church anymore. All they ever ask me to do is empty my pockets, make me feel guilty when I don't. And I'm sure you've heard of those financial scandals in churches, which occasionally make front page news and are told and retold in multiple documentaries. Yes, money is a sensitive topic, but especially in church. And it can be a real turnoff for many. Well, let me take the opportunity to remind you that in just a couple of weeks, our Mission Sunday collection will finally come to a close. Uh, Yes, uh, the announcements guy will finally stop banging on about it, as he has over and over every week for the last 10 weeks. But don't worry, because not long after it's finished, we'll have our Compassion Sunday appeal, encouraging you to sponsor children living in poverty. And, of course, after that, there'll be the Jericho Road Appeal, where you'll be asked to support ministries like the Alloa Children's Hospital for kids with severe disabilities. Then, well, then it'll be time for Compassion Christmas, where you'll be encouraged to part with your hard-earned cash on behalf of a project in some poor country far, far away. Then it'll be Easter and the Presaid Appeal, where you'll be asked to give again to a church project in some developing country. And then, well, well then, it'll be Mission Month once again. Oh, my goodness. I mean, combine all that with occasional appeals for our general collection, you know, that pays our bills and our staff, um, and that's a lot of money talk here at Chatswood Presbyterian. I haven't even mentioned our building fund to pay off this redevelopment. But before you head for the exits, uh, perhaps we should first look together at today's passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, which you can find on page 1,799 of the Church Bibles. And uh, if you don't already have that passage open in front of you, let me encourage you, uh, grab a Bible now, uh, turn with me there, um, completely free of charge, I promise, promise. Uh, That's 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And as you're looking that up, let me give you some background to today's passage. A terrible famine is taking place in the region around Jerusalem, and many Jewish Christians are starving. And so as Paul goes around planting new churches in Gentile regions, he is inviting new converts to contribute towards a famine relief collection to help with the situation back in Judea. And when Paul first came to Corinth... This fledgling church was initially very eager to help, in fact, promising a rather sizable gift. And so Paul helped them make arrangements for money to be set aside regularly so that when he returned to the city, uh, the promised gift would be ready for him to then take back to Jerusalem. Well, it's now been at least a year since Paul was in Corinth. And as he writes this letter to them, he now turns his attention to this matter of the collection. And he starts by telling the Corinthians of how the Macedonian churches have responded to the appeal. 
You may remember that after Paul left Corinth, he went up into the region of Macedonia, into cities like Philippi, Thessalonica. Now, the thing about the Macedonian churches is, unlike the well-off Corinthians, they are very poor. And that being the case, Paul never dreamed of asking them to contribute to the collection. But when they found out about it, the Macedonians didn't just ask Paul to help. They begged for the privilege of being allowed to contribute. And in fact, they ended up giving beyond their means. And with overflowing joy. Here, read with me from chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty whirled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, also to us. Well, it's really quite remarkable, isn't it? Uh, the eager, joyful generosity of these cash-strapped Christians begging for the opportunity to give. And why? Well, well, that's exactly the point. Paul wants the Corinthians to comprehend. In verse 1, he says, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. You know what grace is, don't you? It's a gift. And so what's the gift here? It's generosity. It's the God-given gift of generosity. You see, God has enabled these Macedonians to give themselves first of all to the Lord. That is, to devote themselves to Jesus in love. And because of this love they have with their Lord, they now find it a great joy to do things that please him. Things like helping those in need. And I think we, we get this, don't we? Um, you know, I, re I remember a couple of years ago, I bought my son a handheld computer game for Christmas. Now, I love my son. I adore my son. And I knew that he would be over the moon about this gift. And so when he opened it on Christmas morning, I'm not sure who experienced more joy, him or, or me. And that's like the Macedonians' joy here. They love Jesus. And so it fills them with joy to give towards things that please him. But sadly, the same thing can't be said about the Corinthians. Uh, Paul's co-worker, Titus, has recently visited Corinth and uh, has now reported to Paul that the Corinthians' giving is more meagre than eager. Uh, for some reason, their collection has stalled. Uh, perhaps the Corinthians have met with unexpected expenses. Uh, or maybe their, 
they've been distracted by the other issues going on in their church. Or uh, maybe interest rate rises and forecasts of a recession have caused them to preemptively tighten their belts. We don't know. But for whatever reason, despite their initial enthusiasm, they've, they've now become slack and irregular in putting aside money for their starving brothers and sisters in Judea. And so Paul urges them to excel in the grace of giving, like the Macedonians. To excel at generosity, just as they already excel in other things, like faith and godly speech and knowledge and love. But significantly, Paul refrains from commanding the Corinthians to give. And he urges them, yes, but, but he doesn't command them. Because ultimately he knows that generosity must flow out of a, a love for, for Jesus. For, for Paul to command these Christians to give would be a bit like uh, a wife uh, demanding her husband buy her flowers in order to show his love for her. Now he may well buy her flowers, but chances are he'll just do that to stay out of the doghouse. Not, not as a genuine act of love. But if the husband knows that his wife wants flowers and so willingly gets them for her without having to be strong-armed into it, well, then it does show a genuine love for her. And that's what Paul wants to see in the Corinthians, a genuine love for Christ demonstrated through voluntary giving. And in hopes of kindling that love, Paul reminds the Corinthians of Christ's love for them. How in love he voluntarily gave up, he gave up the glory of heaven for the lowliness of earth and the shame of a cross. That these Corinthians might know spiritual wealth beyond compare. The fact is, Jesus loves them whether they give or not. Whether they give a little or a lot. Nothing's going to change that. But if they truly understand the enormity of Christ's love for them, so totally undeserved, then they won't be able to help but let it flow out from them to others. You read with me from verse 6, verse 6. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Yes, Jesus, Jesus loved these Corinthians so much. He gave them the greatest gift of all. He gave himself. And when the Corinthians get that, they won't be able to help but be generous too. 
And so Paul now urges the Corinthians to get the collection back on track. But he wants to be clear. He's not asking them to give so much that they end up starving too. No, he's simply asking them to follow the biblical principle of giving in proportion to what you have. The principle with those with a lot, give to those who have a little, so that all have enough. See, the goal here is equality. Everyone having enough. And to make the point, Paul draws on an Old Testament story from the time when the Israelites were in the wilderness uh, with no food and were completely dependent on God to provide. And uh, perhaps you remember how God miraculously provided manna for them each day. And it didn't matter how old or frail someone was. Miraculously, whatever they collected was enough. And it didn't matter how how young or vigorous someone was. At the end of the day, they too got enough. With any surplus rotting and, and getting full of maggots. It was God's miracle of equality. You read with me from verse 10. Verse 10. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Interesting, isn't it? Interesting. God still miraculously providing for his people. Not not through manna from heaven, but by working in the hearts of his people to generously share with those who have less. It is still a miracle of sorts. But with all this talk about money, Paul knows that he could very easily be accused of doing it all for his own financial gain. And obviously that's the kind of allegation that would have a devastating impact on his ministry. And so to ensure that this whole process is completely transparent and accountable, Paul has organised for a delegation of three men to be sent to oversee the collection. And they are no, no doubt the ones delivering this letter to the Corinthians. Firstly, there's Titus, whom the Corinthians already know. Then there are two other unnamed men um, who have been chosen uh, not by Paul, significantly. Not by Paul, so that you know, nobody can just say, oh, there, there is lackeys getting money on the side for him. No, but, but chosen by other church leaders. They're highly regarded men who have proven themselves to be trustworthy. 
Here, read with me from verse 16. Verse 16. Thanks be to God, who put it into the heart of Titus, the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of man. In addition, we are sending with them our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honour to Christ. Therefore, show to these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. And so you see, it's very, it's very important to Paul that the whole collection process be seen as transparent and above board. And then in the final part of today's passage, Paul gives one last reason for why the Corinthians should make good on their promised gift. To avoid embarrassment. I remember the, the great enthusiasm of the Macedonians to give, remember? Well, it seems that what initially sparked that enthusiasm was Paul telling them about how eager the Corinthians were to give. And the Macedonians were like, wow, those Corinthians are so inspiring. We want to be like them. We, 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 we want to give too. And Paul's like, no, 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 guys, I can see you're not that well off. Don't, don't worry about this collection, don't worry. And the Macedonians are like, no, we really want to follow the Corinthians' example, Paul. Please let us give, please, Paul. And so they did. And even beyond their means. But now Paul knows that the Corinthians haven't actually given at all. And he realises that if the Macedonians find out, it's going to be red faces all round. And so to avoid that, Paul sends Titus ahead of him to help the Corinthians be ready when the time comes. Here, read with me these final verses for today from chapter 9, verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and Finish the arrangements for the generous gift you have promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. You see, Paul does want to avoid embarrassment. 
but he doesn't want the Corinthians to just give grudgingly, simply out of a desire to save face. No, he wants them to give willingly, from the heart, because of their love for Jesus. And with that, we come to the end of today's passage. So what have we seen? Well, the Corinthians are not making good on their promised gift to assist the starving Christians in Judea. And so Paul writes to encourage them to show true gospel generosity, like the Macedonians. He tells them it's all about the biblical principle of equality, where those with a lot give to those who have little. And he informs them of his plans to send a delegation in order to keep everything transparent and accountable. Well, all right then, so what do you think? What do you, what do you think this passage has to say to us here today? Especially as we think about Chatswood Presbyterian Church and, and our attitude towards and dealings with money. Well, there are just three points that I want us to briefly think about. And they are the principles of generosity, equality, and accountability. So first of all, generosity. And what's abundantly clear from this passage is the fact that Christians are to be generous. In fact, it's something we should excel in. Why? Well, because it's a natural response to the gospel. And so, you see, that's exactly why we have regular appeals here at church. Because for us not to would be like coming to church and not praying or seeing or listening to God's word. No, those activities, along with generosity, are core to who we are. They are a natural response to the gospel. Ultimately, it's because we know and love Jesus, the one who loved us so much. He gave up heaven for us, gave his life up for us. That's why we regularly encourage you to give. And that's why when done with the right heart, our acts of generosity lead to such joy because we do it for him. You know, one of the things I love about getting to do the announcements here um, is announcing after an appeal how much we gave. And it's always such a, a joy for me um, anticipating your reaction and then to hear your, your clapping and cheering and see your smiles of delight. Why do we respond like that? I mean, we don't do it when we pay our bills, do we? No. So why are we so joyful when we give away our money at church? Because we love Jesus. And so we love doing the things that please him, like using our money to help others. Friends, it is a privilege to serve him in this way, is it not? And when you think of it that way, our giving you opportunities to give to worthwhile Christian causes is actually our gift to you. You're welcome. 
So Christian, let me encourage you to let the love that Christ has shown you now well up in you and overflow from you that you might excel in the grace of generosity. Which brings us to the second point of equality. Now, Paul's expectation for the Corinthians was that they would give in proportion to what they had. In other words, there's the assumption that they would give much more than, say, the Macedonians did. So what does this principle of proportionate giving mean for us here today in this church, do you think? Well, I guess it depends on who you are. Some of you are students, for example. Probably not exactly flush with cash. Yet, you know, I I hope you are still generous with what you do have. And then there's the majority of us in our church who, let's face it, are actually very well off. I think this passage causes us to see the inequality of that and prompts us to do something about it. In the way I think we did in our recent appeal for the Tolua Bible College in Vanuatu. You know, when we heard that that community could barely afford two hours of diesel-generated electricity a day, we were aghast, and rightly so. I mean, we freak out when our phone charge gets below 20%. But 22 hours a day with no power at all for anything at all? We we could see the unfairness of that. And so we opened up our hearts and wallets to our brothers and sisters and raised enough funds to provide them with a solar power system that will give them electricity 24-7. You see, that, that is the equality that we're to strive for. Friends, we're rich for a reason. And I think Paul's choice of that manna illustration is such a helpful one because it reminds us that everything we have, just like that manna, comes to us as a gift from God. All of it. But he hasn't just given it to us to hoard. He's given it so that we'll be a part of his miraculous provision to others. Now, that's actually a really neat way of thinking about it, don't you reckon? When we give sacrificially to help others in need, we get to be part of God's miracle of provision. Wow. And so, friend, let me encourage you who are rich to be rich in generosity, to not just offer up your scraps but to seriously and prayerfully consider what's really enough for you and then to not try and hoard the surplus because you might not end up with maggots, but it will eventually rot your soul. We need to trust God in this. And this is something that Beth and I have had to work through recently. Uh, Not that long ago, we used a small inheritance to purchase an investment property, uh, which we hope will be useful to us in retirement. 
But it meant we were faced with a choice. We could take out a, a smaller loan and so get a, uh, a modest apartment, or we could take out a bigger loan, purchase a house, which of course would be great. The only thing is, to, to afford the repayments for the house, well, we did the calculations and we realised that would mean we would have to reduce the amount that we gave to mission and aid. And I confess that this was something that I had to really wrestle with in my heart. But in the end, I realised, you know what? An apartment will do us just fine in retirement. It's enough. In fact, it's still more than enough. And so we went the smaller loan. And best of all, it's meant that we've still been able to maintain our giving to mission and aid. And so, you know, actually invest in things of eternal significance. And that's good for the soul. That's the principle of equality. And third and finally, uh, this passage teaches us about the importance of accountability when it comes to church giving. And uh, so let me tell you a little bit about the way things work here in our church. Uh, the fact is, I don't know if you realise this, but the fact is we Presbyterian ministers, we have a stipend, okay, that is set for us by our denomination. What does that mean? Well, it means that we have, when we have an appeal or something like that, it's not like the more money you give, the more money we get, okay? Um, that's why you can be quite confident there won't be any private jet parked in my driveway anytime soon, okay? It's not going to happen. And I assure you these designer outfits you see on me each week aren't actually as expensive as you may think, all right? <laughs> Did you know, on top of that, did you know that the staff here aren't even allowed to handle church money? It's true. You know, that's a good thing. Because like Paul, we want to be seen as doing the right thing before God and people. In addition, every cent that's given here in this church is fully accounted for. Uh, you'll, you'll notice that we have at least two people counting the cash gifts given here each week. It's done out in the open. It's done publicly. They're not allowed to be related to one another. We also have a wonderful committee of management consisting of trustworthy people chosen by you, the congregation. They meet each month to oversee what money has come in and to together determine how those funds are to be used. On top of that, we have auditors who review it all and make sure everything is above board. Then, a couple of times a year, we have a congregational meeting where all the figures are published and ultimately approved by you. Now, the thing about these congregational meetings is they're super boring, but they're super important because none of us is beyond the temptation of financial impropriety. And we know that even allegations of financial impropriety can destroy ministries, ruin churches, sully the name of Christ. And so let me encourage you to pray for the work of our financial managers and to take an active interest in things like 
congregational meetings. And there you go, we've got the, the date. Of the, there's a date for the next one, okay? You can write that down in your diaries right now. 12th of December, 7.30pm in here. Now, all that said, I hope you can see that we do go above and beyond when it comes to being transparent and accountable with money here at church. And that's the way that it should be. Well, all right, friends. So what does all of this mean? Well, it means as a church, we will keep putting before you opportunities to give. And unashamedly so. Why? Because giving is a natural outflow of God's generosity to us. Because we're called to share with those who have less. And because our gifts are always handled in an accountable and transparent way. And of course, most of all, because we know our giving pleases our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the incomparable riches that are ours in Jesus. Thank you that he gave himself for us. Please help us to so love Jesus and trust him that we can't help but be joyful, generous givers. Help us to be honest in our assessment of what's really enough for us, that we might give in significant and sacrificial ways to meet the needs of others. And please keep our church free from any accusation of mishandling funds, that the gospel might continue to go out from here unhindered. Father, thank you for the privilege of giving in your service. May it all be received as a token of our love for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.